Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to let you be seated. I, uh, if you're here today, and I, I just want to go for this and, and, you know, whatever. It's one of the things you just kind of got to get it off of me so I can go on with what I've got planned. I just feel like if you're in a place of decision today, you, you, uh, you personally need to make a decision. I'd love to pray for you. Can you just stand where you are? You don't have to come down. Just stand where you are. You're, you're in a place of decision. Amen. A lot of you. Goodness. Now, let, let, let me say this to you. And I had this dream, but I feel like there's somebody here that you're not the one you're, you're not the one to make the decision. You're waiting on someone to make the decision. Um, I feel like somebody's waiting on a judge to make the decision. And uh, you're waiting on that gavel to go down. Amen. Is that somebody? Who, who, who's waiting on someone else to make the decision? It's out of your hands, but you're waiting on someone else to make that decision. Oh, man. You're, uh, you're the ones. I mean, it doesn't mean the other people don't count. We, we're going to cover all the bases, okay? But I had this dream, and, uh, and I saw that you're waiting on that gavel, you know, the decision to, go, to be made by a judge, and the gavel to go down and said, that's my decision. And you've been praying about that, uh, that that decision would go, uh, you know, the way you want it to go. Who's, who's been doing that? Who's been praying for that? Amen. Uh, I want to tell you, don't worry about it no more. Don't, God's, don't worry about it no more. God's such a good father. He doesn't want his kids worrying and being burdened and stressed out over things. And uh, it might be out of your control, but it's not out of God's control. Amen. So would you just, as you see these folks standing, and we're believing God, listen to every one of you, every one of your decisions, whether you're making them or you're waiting on someone to make them, is so important to God. If it's important to you, it's important to him. And I'm going to ask the other believers around you now, everybody just, just kind of stand. If you could just go and gently maybe uh, touch them and pray for them. We're going to all pray together here for these people that are standing. Just I, I want everybody covered in prayer right here. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you see these decisions, some that they are making and others that are standing waiting on that judge to render a decision. Lord, in your word, you says the heart of the king, the heart of those in authority is in the hand of the Lord. And you can turn it whichever way that you will. So we declare the will of the Lord. We declare the peace of God. We declare the anxiety and the worry to be removed now in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for the wisdom and the grace of the Holy Spirit that, that indwells them, that that decision will come forth for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Come somebody, somebody say amen. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Amen. Now you can all stand up and we'll go to the scriptures. You may not feel better, but I do. Sometimes I just feel like the Lord's just saying, do this first. This is important to me. And I thank God that you'd say, well, why does he give you dreams? Because that's probably the only time he can talk to me much when I'm laying there out of it. <laughs> he can have full sway. Amen. First John 
chapter 5, we're going to read verses 11 through 13. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Y'all ready? And this is the testimony that John's giving. That God has given us, notice it has, not will. That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. What kind of life is it? Eternal. He who does not have the son does not have life. The issue with God has always been about life, right? He told Adam and Eve in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you shall die. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, an abundant life. Amen. Verse 13, notice what it says. These things John says. Now, he's not talking about just those few verses I'm reading. He's talking about his whole epistle here, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, which we don't have time to read the whole epistle. But he's talking about all of those things. These things, John says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have, not will have, that you have what kind of life? Do you see a theme here? John's trying to convince them and to get them to know that you have eternal life. And then it says that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Can somebody say amen to God's word? Amen. amen. You may be seated. You know, a lot of times I've seen people, preachers in particular, they use this, these verses, verses like this to ask the question, are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Are you sure you're saved? And there's probably not one of us here that after declaring our salvation, receiving salvation, professing our faith in Jesus, as Romans 10 says, and it says that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that he is the Lord, you, are, you, you will be, you are saved. But there's times that the enemy comes against us, attacks us mentally and things, and, and we probably all have gone through some moments, times, seasons where you question your salvation. And that's a real ploy of the enemy. And, and sometimes when people say, are you saved? Are you sure you're saved? Th these questions are sometimes used to scare people. And what they're really trying to get you to do is to sign up for works-based religion. In other words, you got to, you know, you got to do one, two, three, four, five to be a real Christian or whatever. And, and what it does, it just creates a lot of uh, what I would just say is salvation anxiety. And, and, and yet the scripture tells us, the apostle Paul told us to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith or not. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, this is what Paul said. He said, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And then he says this statement, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is where? Is in you. He said, unless indeed you are disqualified. In other words, if you're not born again, then of course Christ is not in you. But if you're born again, Christ is in you. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then 2 Corinthians says that if any man be in Christ, he's, he is what? He is a new, not he will be one day. Amen? Amen? See, a lot of, that's what religion does. It puts it over yonder in the glory land by and by after a while. How many knows it's not pie in the sky, you know, by and by, but it's steak on your plate while you wait? 
Amen? It's not, it's not, you know, once, I was raised on that. God help us. But, you know, won't it be wonderful there, having no burdens to bear? Y'all remember them songs? They're real emotional, but it places everything in the future. You know, that's what religion does. Religion's always trying to trap you in the past or in the future. But God said, I am the I am. God's a present help. Amen? And, and so in, in this verse where Paul says, examine yourself to whether you're in the faith, test yourselves, do you not know that Christ is in you? Uh, a lot of times you would hear, I grew up hearing this verse particularly right before we had communion services. And, that, and the preacher would always want us to, you know, to examine ourselves. And what did he want us to examine ourselves for? To see if there was any what in our life? Unconfessed sin in our life. And, and, it, and, and, and that's the way it was approached. But the, the Apostle Paul, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying examine yourselves uh, periodically to, to confirm what you already should know, and that is that Christ is in you. He said examine yourself, and what you're looking for when you look at yourself is, is not sin. You're not looking for that. It's not to make you doubt your salvation, but it's to examine that Christ is in you. See, this whole idea of self-examination, uh, navel-gazing, I would call it, another name for it, this whole thing of examine yourself to evaluate our standing with God is entirely religious and unbiblical. Did you hear me? It's totally religious and it's totally unbiblical. They didn't even do that under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. In other words, when under the Old Covenant, uh, a man brought a lamb to the temple to be offered for sacrifice for his sin, but the priest never examined the man. What did, he, what did the priest look at? The lamb. They examined the lamb. The, the man had nothing to do. The man just in faith brought the sacrifice, and the, and the priest examined the lamb. When God looks at you, he's not looking at you. He's looking at his son. He's looking at the lamb, the one that was without sin. So it's not self-examination. When you look at yourself, what Paul's talking about is just look to see what you should already be convinced of and know is that Christ is now in you. And if you, don't, if you have Christ in you, then you have eternal life because you have his life. Whose life do you think you have when you got born again? You have, you have his life. And so what Paul's trying to do is to encourage them that it, when you go through the times like that, just examine yourself. You're not looking for sin. You're looking for Jesus. Is Christ in you or not? It's a yes or a no. Christ in you is kind of like pregnant. You're not a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. You're either born again or you're not. Right? And, and, and so faith is being certain. That the faith is, is more than just believing. It starts with believing, of course, but it's knowing. How many believe you're in the building this morning? How many know you're in the building this morning? <laughs> I, I think it's kind of hard to separate the two because believing is what brings us to knowing. But knowing just means that nobody can't argue out of that. And, and circumstances in your life can't take that out away from you. You know, there, there's times sometimes that people go through a faith crisis, I call it. In other words, they're having a crisis of faith. But the thing I try to point out to people is, listen, you're in a faith crisis, but that just proves you have faith. You have faith. Because if you didn't have any faith, there wouldn't be any crisis. You would just be walked away, and, and you wouldn't be in my office talking about it, and we wouldn't be praying over it, and we wouldn't be discussing it. 
But the fact that we're doing all of that proves to me and to you, hopefully, that you have faith in God or you wouldn't be talking about it. Amen? If you thought God didn't exist, you wouldn't be telling me he didn't. <laughs> Good morning. The fact you're in my office telling me you don't even believe in God is proof that you do. I can't tell you over the years how many people say, I don't even know if there is a God. And you're sitting in the pastor's office talking to him about it. Hello. Oh, yeah, you do. That's the reason you're here. You just want me to help confirm what you want to believe, that God is there. Amen? And, and so, so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of us was raised up in, you know, this constant doubting of our salvation. That's why a lot of times spring and fall revivals, you know, to try to get the saints saved again. Let me tell you what some churches call it, rededicate your life, which is totally unbiblical. It's not in the Bible, but it's in a lot of churches. Come up here, they say, and rededicate your life. And how would they get, us, get you to rededicate your life? You would say the sinner's prayer again, which also is not in the Bible. Y'all care about this stuff that's not in the Bible? You know there's a lot of stuff in the church that's not in the Bible, right? So they would say, you know, uh, you know, say the sinner's prayer. And then they would say, you know, if you've already said it before, it don't hurt to say it again. All that kind of stuff. And it's rededicating, and it's in a constant state of doubting your salvation. If you doubt it, then rededicate your life to Jesus and just do your first works over again. And we just keep going through the same thing over and over and over because we are not sure and steadfast in our faith that we know that you have eternal life. See, faith knows it, y'all. And there's many scriptures all in the Bible, of course, about believing. But there's also scriptures in the Bible about knowing. Uh, Peter said in John 6, 69, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Paul did the same thing in 1 Timothy 4 and 3. He says that Paul was talking in that verse about people, he said, who believe and know the truth. They believe it, but they also know it. And then of what we read today John says it in 1 John 5, 13, that he says that I want you to know that you have eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. And so when doubt of salvation comes, it only happens, listen to me, when we begin to doubt our salvation, it only happens when we begin to look at ourselves. That's the only way. I mean, every Christian, you know, who believes, and I, was, I grew up in a, in a theological bend that, taught that you know your salvation you, you know you can come and go you can lose it you can get saved 10 times if you need to but how many knows that you're only born again one time you're only born naturally one time and you can't get unborn after you've been born you may not like that you've been born you know but I mean I told you told you this before you know one time my kids was I don't know they, they were like 10 11 12 13 in that range and I would, you know, give them little chores to do. And I remember one of them one time got real mad. I mean, I, you just had us so we could, you know, work for you. <laughs> I think, I think my, my son, he's like 12 at him or something like that. And I, <laughs> I just started laughing, man. I said, if you knew how much money, I mean, you're making like $100 an hour. You know what I'm saying? For all that I've spent on you. And you think I had you so you could work. You know, how I many you see this in church? You know, save to serve. God didn't save you just to serve him. We serve the Lord, of course, out of love, but God didn't save you to serve. You saved, no, you're saved because God loves you. 
And every Christian who believes it, they can lose their salvation. Let me tell you something. God does not unchild his children. I told you just the other day, somebody, you know, I still get hit with that, you know, occasionally. Well, you, you believe, you, you know, that, that you can lose your salvation. I said, yeah, you know, if a butterfly can turn back into a caterpillar, then you can convince me you can lose your salvation. But if you can convince me that a butterfly that was once a caterpillar can turn back into a caterpillar, then I'll believe you can lose your salvation. It's a horrible way to live. Every Christian who believes it, that they can lose their salvation, they always give you reasons that involve themselves. It's got nothing to do with Jesus. It's about them. And so they say, well, what if you know, I did this sin? I did this or I did that or what if I do this or what if I do that? You can just fill in the blank, whatever you want to fill it in. But see, it's all the same thing. Every hypothetical situation or scenario that you can give me always puts you, the person, at the center of the equation. In other words, the whole uh, destabilizing thing about your salvation or doubting your salvation or, you know, am I really saved? It, you're the center of that talk. And, 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 and Jesus is the center. See, our faithfulness to God, uh, well, let me say it like this, our unfaithfulness to God was an old covenant problem that has now been solved by a new covenant with a cross where Jesus paid it all. In John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, John chapter 10, 28 and 29, this is what Jesus says. Jesus said, and I give them eternal life. Notice the theme here. What kind of life? He said, I give them eternal life and they shall never what? Perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That is real crystal clear, people. He, he said, if I, if, if I can uh, have, in other words, if I can have eternal life, let me say it this way, if I can have eternal life today and not have it tomorrow, then you explain to me how it's eternal life. If it's, it's either eternal life or it's not. So if it's eternal today, then it's going to be eternal tomorrow. Uh, e eternal life, that phrase, eternal life is said 68 times in the New King James Version of the New Testament. God's trying to say something to us. 68 times. And, 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 and people don't, well, is it possible to lose the gift of salvation? And there's preachers that will say, yes, you, you can lose it. Well, what they believe that salvation is then temporary. In other words, it's been on loan to you. That no longer is your salvation contingent upon Jesus, but now it's contingent upon you. Anything that becomes contingent upon you and I, we're in trouble. But that's not what the Bible says. If you're saved now, then you're saved eternally. It's eternal life. Jesus doesn't do partial salvations. He doesn't do temporary salvations. He doesn't give you salvation on probation. He only authors one kind of salvation, and he calls it eternal salvation. Amen. Come on, praise him. Uh, your eternal salvation is forever and everlasting. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because Jesus' blood, the Bible says, obtained for us, 
These are, this is the scriptures. Now listen. It says Jesus' blood has obtained, has obtained for us an eternal redemption. That's Hebrews 9 and 12. Which leads us to having an eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9 and 15. Which that eternal uh, inheritance has been guaranteed by an eternal covenant. Hebrews 13 and 20. Which results in an eternal life that's been given to us. John 1 and 11 by the eternal God, Romans 16 and 26, which is why we have an eternal gospel, Revelation 14 and 6, that has given us an eternal comfort, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16. Anybody starting to get this now? And that ain't all 68 references to it. Now, I, I, uh, Jesus said in John 5, 24, listen what Jesus says. John 5, 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, not will have, has, again, eternal life and will not be condemned. Now, men will condemn you. Religion will condemn you. The devil will try to condemn you, but God never will. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are where? In Christ Jesus. There's none. There's not any. There's not a little bit. There's no, none, zilch, no condemnation. So don't receive any condemnation. Amen? You know, it says that, that he, Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth here. If you hear my word, if you believe in me, believe in, in the Father that sent me, then you have eternal life and you won't be condemned. And it says because he has crossed over from death to life. Who is he? The person that believes this. You have already crossed over. You're not going to cross over. See, the, one of the big issues with salvation is you, you believe salvation has not happened yet. Your salvation is a done deal now. The only thing God's going to redeem in the future is our bodies, physical. Uh, Jesus says you have eternal life. You, he, you know, the person that believes him has it then, not will have it someday. So Jesus says two important things in that verse. He, he says new life is not something that you experience in the sweet by and by, but it's something that you enjoy right now today. The Bible says today is the day of what? Salvation. Now is the acceptable time. That's don't, that, don't, that, that verse there does not mean it's, time for you, it's acceptable for you to accept. No, God said, I accept you now. God's the one doing the accepting. And the second thing Jesus said, that if you believe in me, you'll never be condemned. So why are you struggling with condemnation? Because it's not from God. God on your worst day will never condemn you. God will never speak down to you. God will never say, I'm sick of you. God will never say, I'm angry with you. God will never, all these, God doesn't, he didn't do that. Because the new covenant's here and it changed everything. The Bible says you're one spirit with the Lord. If you're one spirit with him, how can you lose the spirit? You know, I've been asked, well, what if I stop believing? Well, you've still got e eternal life. You just won't enjoy it very much. In other words, you can stop believing, but God won't stop. You can be unfaithful, but God says he's always faithful. Uh, listen to these six promises about your future. You get worried about your future? Start doubting your salvation? Go through tough times? 
and I could give you a lot more, but just for the sake of time, let me just give you six. The Bible says, you know, for, for a Christian to lose their salvation, this would what this would need to happen. If you if it is possible to lose your salvation, which it's not, but some people say it is, but if it's possible to lose it, then this is what would have to happen. Number one, God would have to forsake us. When he said clearly in his word in Hebrews 13 and 5 that he never would. Number two, God would have to cast us out uh, when it says clearly in his word, John 6, 37, he would never cast us out. Number three, God would have to condemn us. I just read for you. You will never be condemned, and, and he said he would not do it, and he said it in more places than just what I've just read. He also said it in Romans chapter 8. He said it in verse 1 and also in verse 34. Number four, God would have to take his spirit, his Holy Spirit, from us. He would have to withdraw his spirit from us when he promised in his word that he never would do that. John 14, chapter verses 16 through 17. He would never take his spirit from us. See, David in Psalm 51, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he made a prayer and said, Oh Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That was an appropriate prayer for an old covenant guy praying who wasn't saved. He was looking forward to the cross. You and I look back to the cross. He was in the old covenant under law. We are in the new covenant under grace. Big difference. Changed everything. So God would never take your. So it's inappropriate for you to read Psalm 51 and you to say that and say, Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God would never take it. God's not a liar. He said he would not take his Holy Spirit from us. Number five, God would have to remember our sins. How could, how could he cast us away and us lose our salvation if it wasn't over the issue of sin? God would have to remember our sins against us when the New Testament says over and over that God will not remember our sins anymore. Hebrews 10, 17, and many other places. Number six, God would have to forget that we are his children if we could lose our salvation. And he would have to unchild his own children. And in Isaiah 49 and 15, God prophesied through the prophet Isaiah about the new covenant that was coming. And he said, I want to tell you something. When this new covenant comes, he said, you might forget me. He said, like I'm, uh, 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 you know, like he said, can a mother forget the baby that's nursing at her breast? He said, you might forget me, but I will never forget you. Because actually what he goes on to say, he said but literally what it means in Hebrew is your picture is ever before me. Even those that's gone on, loved ones, we have their pictures in our homes, our, our mothers, our dad, so that we, don't, we, we won't forget them. It's a constant reminder. Amen. And, and so anything and everything that needed to be done to assure us of that salvation, Jesus did it on the cross. And, and he, he said from the cross that it is what? It, it's finished. You, you just got to trust him. And, and, and the one, the Bible says, who has begun a good work in you will also carry it on to full completion. To completion. That's in Philippians 1 and 6. Salvation is not from you. Salvation did not, did not originate with you. It was not your idea. You didn't convince God to save you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he made the move. He, he, he did this. And, and, and you've got to understand that it is the gift of salvation. How many believes it's a gift? 
Well, Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says the gifts of God are irrevocable. That in itself, that, that's the only verse you even need. If, if salvation is a gift, you have received the gift from God, then the gifts of God are, are irrevocable, it says. They cannot be taken back. Because if, if you can be taking it back, it wasn't a gift, it was a paycheck. It was something that you earned, and then you unearned it. And so the Lord took it from you. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is given. It's a gift. Can somebody say amen? You, you, don't, you don't have anything to be anxious over. It's always, and I've run into it even this week, somebody, you know, you know and, 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 they, and they go through tough times. They go through t- tough times, and it's called going through those faith uh, crisis. And you wrestle, well, is all this really true? They said. Is all this really true? You know, and I've seen people, I don't know how many times over these past 30, 34 now, 35 years of ministry where I've had people just look at me and say, I don't even believe in God. I'm not even sure there is a God. And all those times, and, and that's when you're going through a crisis. And, and what happens is we're prone to forget things. Man, I've had, a, I've had a wonderful life of serving God, living for God. I, I mean, I've seen miracles. But some people, they don't have that kind of testimony. They can't point to those kind of things. And there's times, but you'll be amazed. It doesn't matter what you've seen God do in times where, where, the, where the pressure is there. The, the, you know, you, you just don't see that. You just start looking. You know, knowing that you have eternal life is like the apostle Paul said, I am, when he was on that ship and he was being carried to Rome and the great storm came. And, but, but the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said that for him not to fear that he would, he would, he would stand before Pilate. And so he had had that prophecy before he, and the angel confirmed it to Paul that he would, he would stand before God, I mean before Pilate on behalf of God. He would be a witness to Pilate. And yet when the storm was all around and, and I mean everybody, all the sailors are right now at the wheel, I mean this is a, a terminal storm. But Paul stood there and told him, he said, I am fully persuaded that it will be unto me as the Lord has promised me. And, and, and Paul said, he said that the, the storm, it might take the boat down, but it ain't going to take me down. It might, it might, it, listen, and, 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 and Paul said, you know, he told the other sailors, he said, don't fear. Don't, don't fear. And, 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 of course, the storm tore that boat all to pieces. It wedged on the rock. The waves just ripped it apart. And the Bible said that, that, the, the, you know, they had other prisoners on there and stuff, and, and, they, and they all went to the shore, some of them floating on boards. And I've told you, just a piece of the boat. You ever made it in your life just on a piece of a car? Anybody beside me had a piece of a car one time? <laughs> Wasn't even a whole car, just a piece of a car. How many's ever had just a piece of a job? It wasn't the job you want, maybe the one that got, but you made it, didn't you? You might have got to the shore wet, but you still got to the shore. In other words, God brought you through. You maybe didn't arrive like you wanted to arrive. You didn't, you know, get out on the red carpet or anything, but you still got there. Why? Because God promised you. See, sometimes if you'll just remember the word that God's promised you, if you've got a word from God, a promise from God, and you haven't seen it fulfilled yet, I mean, you ain't done yet. You, you just have to stand on, on your promise. I remember this guy in, uh, years ago, and you, I, mean, I can't remember his names right now. I probably shouldn't talk about it if I can't give you all the facts. But 
but I, I remember it's been probably 20 years ago now. But he was a, he was running for uh, the uh, one of the state. I don't know if it's Congress or, or uh, for the House or the Senate or whatever with the state of Georgia. And uh, right there in Atlanta, he was doing a talk. But he had been to uh, what's the guy Crawford that had the long hair that was the prophet, and uh, he's dead now. But uh, Kim Clement. So this guy had been in a meeting where Kim Clement was ministering years before, long before he ever started running for any kind of political office. And Kim had called him out uh, and prophesied to him that they would have a son. And, and, uh, and, and you know, they would have a, a son. And, and we've seen that. I've seen that in my life where God would do that on occasion. And, and so they had that promise. And, and there was difficulty there where maybe she couldn't have a, a kid. But, you know, he had, they had the promise of the Lord that they would have a son. And when he was running for office, he was speaking right outside the Atlanta area. He was at a Holiday Inn giving a, a campaign speech and a talk. And he had a massive heart attack right there. And, and they already had the TV cameras there because he was there, you know, giving his, his uh, political uh, agenda or whatever, running for office. And, of course, they, they, and they had the cameras there, and, of course, he had the heart attack. And, and they, you know, they was mindful about some of them, what they showed. But they, I remember I watched the news footage and had him in the back of the ambulance there and, and working on him. And, you know, you know it, was, it, was, it was not good. And they went to the hospital, and of course I was a paramedic for 20 years, so I know intrinsically what that is all about, working that, what we call working the code. And you're doing CPR, and you intubate the patient, and you're doing all that you can do. And so they're, they're doing full CPR on this guy in the emergency room, and his wife's there, you know, standing by, and, and the doctor calls it. He, he just, he says, that's it. And I've been there many times where they said, the doctor says, that's it, guys. Everybody's worked hard, but that's, it's over. And you look at that monitor, and you just got a straight line going across, and it's all over with. And, and how many times I've seen that, and you just kind of stand in there for, you know, 30 seconds, and you just, it's still hard to realize that it's done. You've done all you can do. It's over. And I've been there many times. And that's what that doctor did. And she's standing there, and he said, he, he, he said, it's, it's over. He said, he's been, we've been working this code now, and how many minutes, and, you know, brain, Brain, you know, if he come back, he'd be probably a vegetable or whatever deal. And she just, but she had that promise, and she just said no. And uh, and <laughs> this is going to sound a little funny, but they, this is what they, the people that, you know, this is what they said. It's recorded in his testimony. And she grabbed his ankles, and she said no. She said, he can't die. She said, I, I don't have my son yet. And when she and she just grabbed him by both ankles and just hollered that out. No, he cannot die. I don't have my son yet. And when he when he said that, the monitor went boop. It started the heart started beating. And and listen, this is the part. And the doctor looked at her and said, and said, the doctor looked at her and he's quoted is saying to the wife, "Look what you've done." <laughs> he said, "Look what you've done." He said, "He's going to be a brain dead. He's been without oxygen too long. Look what you've done." Well, he lived. He got out of the hospital in a couple of days and, and, and went around all churches all over, not just Georgia, all over the United States giving his testimony. I actually tried to book him 20 years ago because you couldn't get him. He actually won that position in the office. He served state of Georgia for several terms. 
either in the House or Senate, I can't remember. And, and it was just an amazing testimony. But she stood that while. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts, it says, I don't know why it says it like this, maybe because of that right there, but it said women received their dead raised to life again. Amen. Boy, you just can't tell a woman no. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> she got a promise from God. She says, absolutely no. I ain't got my son yet. Do you know they went on to have a son? And that son went on to be in, in, in political office. God's still that same God. But you, when you have a promise from God of what God's going to do in your life and you believe in that promise, you stand on that. You stand, on, you stand in faith on that. And, and that's, that's all God's wanting you to have is not faith in faith, but faith in Him, the person. Can you say amen? Would you stand to your feet? Y'all receive the word of the Lord today? Come on, give God praise. Hallelujah. Man, I'm so excited for you guys that are, it's like many today were in the valley of decision. Remember that verse? But don't go home worried about it no more. That verse that I quoted always brought a lot of comfort to me. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. I know before I've stood, but when I've had to go and see people in high, you know, authority and where God was saying do this or do that, I remember when I got promoted to the chief position of the Amlet service in Tiff County and I was the chief, I took that position January the 1st of 1985 and uh, when I took the job, it was required of me to move inside the city limits of Tifton, which I did. And I, and I moved into the city. I was really only four blocks from our headquarters. And uh, we loved Tifton. It wasn't that big a deal. But the God began to do a lot of things in my life. I finally, while I was in that first six months of my chief position, after three and a half years of God messing with me, I accepted the call to preach the gospel. I uh, had had, some, had a little spot of land that we had bought in Cook County and it always wanted to build a house, but all that was over once I took that job. Had to be in Tifton. Had to be in the city limits. And I remember the guy, his name was Charles Kent. He was the chairman of Tiff County Commissioners, a great, great man. One of the best people I've ever worked for in my life. And I knew what the, the policy manual said, and, but God told me to move back to Cook County. I had no idea that it would be because God would want me to start a church there called Cornerstone, which I did. It still goes today. But I didn't know all that. And, and it was so emphatic on my heart, move back to Cook County. And I was like, God, I can't move back. I just got promoted to chief. They gonna make, I, it's, it's in writing. And all God would say was, move back. Move, that's where I want you. So I set up a meeting. I went to see Mr. Charles Kent. Man, I was nervous, but I had prayed that prayer. And in fact, people would sometimes in a derogative manner, to speak of Mr. Ken is King Charles because he was so powerful in Tiff County government. And, uh, but he was a great man. And I went to see Mr. Kent, and I sat in his office, and, I, and, I, and you can't go to a guy like that and tell him God called me to preach. Not me. You, just, you, don't, you don't do all that. I just said, Mr. Ken, I wanted to meet with you. And he said, well, what's up? And uh, I'm six months in my new job, <laughs> six months. And I'd, I had been working there for years, but I was only been the chief for six months. I said, Mr. Ken, I'd like to move back to Cook County. I know the policy says I've got to live in the city limits, but I'd like to move back to Cook County. 
And I'm going to promise you with all the truth that I can tell you, if he had have said, no, you can't, I would have resigned that day. That's how strong it was on me to move back. I, I don't mean resign from the ambulance service. I'd hope they let me get back on the truck as a paramedic, but I meant resign my chief position. And I said, Mr. Kenny, I'd like to move back to Cook County. He just sat there a minute, and it seemed like it was a long time. He was just sitting there. He said, you know what? He said, your job is administrative. Your job's not to jump in a truck and run calls anymore. He said, your job is to make sure that the calls get run. He said, live where you want to. I don't care where you live. And, and, you know, and God did it. And, and, and I remember when I came back, uh, you know, and, and told my department, I had 34 employees. I told them that I was, you know, be moving, uh, you know, back to Cook County. They just couldn't believe it. Some of them, they got mad about it. How's he getting moved back? Whatever your decision is, whatever's going on in your life, it's not about policies. God can change laws for you. God can change things for you. Just trust him. That inward voice, just trust him and take that step of faith. Can you say amen? You're dismissed. We love you. God bless you.